The Providence Journal presents Nick and Bob, the college basketball podcast for Rhode Island and around the nation with your hosts, Kevin McNamara and Bill Koch. Hello and welcome to the Providence Journal's Pick and Pop podcast. This is Kevin McNamara in our weekly look at the college basketball scene and it is March and the games are coming at us fast and furious and they may not be coming much longer because conference tournament time is here next week. Uh, Bill Koch, nice to see you once again. Kevin Mack, great to be with you. Uh, we're going to start uh, with the Providence Friars, who last night were in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, I have to say, I'm pretty happy I'm not traveling back from Omaha, Nebraska today. Uh, the word is it was six degrees yesterday. Oh, wow. Um, and it's not the easiest place to get back from. No, that's right. Um, it was a very strange game. Uh, I, I realized the plight of Providence fans. I'm usually at all the games, and you're working and focused and all that stuff. Instead, to just sit there and watch the Friars on television was very frustrating. They're a frustrating team to watch, especially offensively. Uh, the Friars were bad for long stretches of the game. Somehow were only down three at the half, fell behind by 16 in the second half, came back to tie and force overtime, shockingly, and then lose in overtime 76-70. to 70. Uh, Just another tight, aggressive, crazy Big East game. We've seen them all season long. Yeah, I thought Providence showed a lot of toughness. Uh, when they fell down 16 in the second half, it looked like Creighton was going to run away with it. The home crowd there is on fire, and you know the Blue Jays have been playing pretty well lately. Uh, you know, But Providence, to their credit, they really dug in. They, they made a tough run to the finish. This was a game that they only led for 1 minute and 46 seconds. It's really, really hard to play from behind as much as they did. I thought they showed a lot given the struggles they had offensively, sort of the lineup that's still in flux. Here we are 30 games into the year, and and the lineup still isn't really that set. The rotation still isn't really that set. But you had guys out there battling hard to take this game into overtime. They just came up a little short. Yeah, you got to give credit to the uh, upperclassmen in this game, but I I have a different spin on it. I think most people would say, you know, wow, big efforts by people like Isaiah Jackson and Drew Edwards and Khalif Young. And uh, they're spot on that they were on the court during the comeback. They got the game into overtime. But that group has its flaws. And and that group's flaws are, A, offensive, uh, B, from the free throw line. Uh, And that's really what came back to bite you in the end. Uh, Providence at the line in the second half was 6 for 12. They missed six six big ones. Uh, While Alpha Diallo... Three for ten from the line is just inexcusable uh, from anybody, your uh, best player or worst player. Um, the fr- uh, other Friars also missed important free throws. Khalif Young missed three. Uh, Drew Edwards missed one. But ten for 21 from the free throw line, Bill, with 18 turnovers. Uh, that's what made the game tough to watch. Back to my top. And, you know, Providence mucks up games. That's what they are right now because offensively they're just not very good. It seems pretty clear to me that they have two distinct lineups an offense lineup and a defense lineup and what you saw in the second half and in the overtime was the defense lineup and it'll only take you so far Nate Watson only played 21 minutes in this game. He's part of the offense lineup AJ Reeves only played 21 minutes in this game. He was 3 for 9 part of the offense lineup. We didn't see either one of them down the stretch and, and in the overtime. Also, David Duke and Makai ashton Langford, Basically, those four players who have been the bulk of their team uh, for weeks now, 
uh, Cooley clearly got mad at them and basically said, you guys are done, played his older guys, gambled, and the gamble paid off to some extent. Right. You know, because defensively, you know, Creighton only scored 31 points in the second half. But, again, that's a group that struggles to score, misses free throws, and really isn't good enough to win Big East games. That's why the young guys play. So, uh, to your point, they've played 30 games. Uh, this weekend will end their regular season against Butler at home. And if you ask me who the five or six guys will be on the court in crunch time at the end, couldn't tell you. Yeah, and they've, they've sort of shown us who they are over the course of those 30 games. They're inconsistent. Uh, once A.J. Reeves went down with a foot injury, you knew that they were going to struggle to score. Uh, they've struggled to find jump shooters from the outside. They don't really get a lot easy, no. a lot for free, uh, unless Nate Watson is having a good night in the paint. Or off the defense. They don't really have a lot of guys who are going to make threes or you know sort of spread the floor and, and get easy driving lanes to the rim. Everything looks like a fight, and you're going to see them in a lot of these close games. This was their second straight overtime game for Providence. Uh, they were fortunate enough to win the previous one at Butler, uh, but you can only ride your luck for so long. And, and Creighton you know, is a team that, you know, like I said at the start, has been in the ascendancy here a little bit. Uh, you know, Martin Crumple found himself in the second half. He finished with a double-double. Uh, Creighton had five players in double figures. Getting on the board is never really their problem. It's sort of these toughness, grinding, mm-hmm. defensive games that they don't usually win, and they found a way to steal one last night. Well, how about this? Creighton has, let me see how many here. I'll be quick here. One, two, three. They had lost three overtime games. Wow. And this is a team that's, you know, on the bubble, uh, has a net rating of about 50. Uh, if they can beat DePaul, they're going to finish 9-9 nine and nine in the league. You know, will go to New York with some hopes to play their way into the NCAA tournament. Three overtime losses, you flip one or certainly two of them, you probably in the NCAA tournament. And they finally be, were able to get one done and get one to their, uh, to their side tomorrow. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, last night. Uh, that sets up... Again, one final game in the, the Big East regular season. If the tournament started tomorrow, Providence would be last. They would be number 10 in the Big East. And if they lose to Butler in the season finale, they, they will, will be last. They will be last, yes. Right. Uh, they will definitely be playing Wednesday, so book your Amtrak train now, uh, Friar fans. They're either going to play at 7 or 9.30. If they're the 10 seed, they will play at 9.30 p.m., um, I call that a, a liquid game because <laughs> everyone who shows up, no one wants to be at that game, number one. They're, right. ma- they're mad when they walk in the door. Sure. Extra night of hotel, uh, you know, got out of, had to get out of work and free yourself. And, you know, it's a play-in game. I know that it's called the first round, but it's a play-in game with the reward being a visit to either number one Villanova or number two Marquette or flip flip around. We'll see how they go. But right now, Providence is in the 10 seed, would play Georgetown at 930 with a reward of Marquette. Uh, if they were to beat Butler on Saturday, they'll move into the 8-9 game. Uh, that's at 7 o'clock on Wednesday with the reward being a noon game on Thursday, which we're going to transition here. Mm. There is a good possibility that both the Friars and the Rhode Island Rams play at noontime on Thursday. Right. Which is good for newspapers and sports editors 
like Bill Corey. Yeah, he's uh, giving us the thumbs up here from behind the control board. And he likes the noon tip. And really good for local sports bars. Uh, that's right. But uh, Of lo- which there are many uh, in the New York area, whether you be... No, no I mean uh, here in Rhode Island. Well, that's true, too. Yeah. Uh, that's true, too. Well, actually, it's a problem for the New York bars. They have to... Can they get in at 10.30 in the morning? Of course they can. In Brooklyn? It's a tight turnaround. How about in Brooklyn? Sure. Okay. Why not? Okay. If they know that there's going to be a game, they're going to be open. They'll be open. Sure. So that's our transition to the Rhodey Rams, who also have only one game left. And uh, this is a very different team than the one we spoke about last week. Um, when we had our last podcast, Rhodey was on its way to Dayton looking at uh, – what everyone in the Atlantic 10 thought was a death march. And then uh, one of their best games of the season, the Roadie Rams beat the Dayton Flyers and then have uh, continued on. And if they can beat UMass at home on senior day on Saturday, they'll go to Brooklyn with all sorts of confidence. Yeah, they would finish 9-9 nine and nine in the league, which would be the fifth straight year that they'd be at 500 or better. And I, I think when they were sitting there at 5-9 and nine after a loss to Davidson, you, you know, you what sort of odds would you have given there mm-hmm. if you were in Vegas? They would have been very slim. Uh, but Rhode Island has really showed a lot of character here down the stretch. Uh, you know, they blew out George Washington at home, a game that you expected them to win when it popped up on the schedule. But to beat Dayton in overtime 72-70 after you lose a 12-point lead in the second half at UD Arena, uh, one of the toughest places to go in the league. In the country. Yeah, that showed a lot. Uh, and then the other night at St. Joe's, a, a place that historically has been very tough on the Rams. I think they were 18-31 and 31, uh, at Hagen Arena going into that game. They seem to have found the elixir for playing on Hawk Hill. And that's a certain sophomore guard named Fats Russell. Mm. Uh, Bill, I'll let you talk about it. I watched the game on television and I'm shaking my head as Fats Russell makes shot after shot, gets to the free throw line and knocks down... He actually missed six free throws, which is, I guess, when you take 16, you're allowed to miss a couple. But I think he got uh, a little tired in the end. <laughs> he could have 42 minutes, 12 field goals, seven threes, 10 free throws. That adds up to a big, fat number of 41, a historic, historical night for the Roadie Rams. Uh, the first 40-point effort by a, a Roadie player since 1988 when Tommy Garrick had 40. He had 50. 50. Well, 50 is a nice Tied number, Tied the too. program record, 50. Uh, so the most points in roughly 40 years. Pretty impressive. Yeah, uh, you know, looking at Fats in that game, he scored the last 19 points for URI. Um, there was a stretch at the end of regulation and, and into the start of overtime. He scored on seven of their eight possessions. Uh, you know, it was just unconscious, out of his mind. He was in that zone that basketball players and, and athletes talk about. Uh, and you could just see it. You could see Good. the confidence. I, I'm sure it was coming through on the TV screen, the, yep. the way he looked. It was very obvious in person that he expected to make every shot at that point, uh, make every free throw. Uh, and, and he said after the game, you know, I feel great when I come to LaSalle or when I come to St. Joe's because my family is here. I can hear them in the crowd. Uh, I think he had about 40 family members and friends uh, at the game the other night, and he certainly put on a show for them. Do they know where Brooklyn is? I'm sure they do. Can we get him a bus? I, I'm a sure van? we can. Something. You can take a train from Philadelphia to Brooklyn. It's you, not that far. You can. It's it's not that far at all, but uh, whatever can help. And, you know, all season long on these podcasts, we've kind of bemoaned the struggles of Fats Russell because he just hasn't shot the ball well. He's missed a lot of open shots. He hasn't gotten to the free throw line. Uh, his three-point 
uh, struggles have been well documented, and yet no one has really given up on him because we knew he was going to keep shooting. And who else do you want to shoot on that team? You know, it's it's basically him, Jeff Doughton, and inside Cyril Langevin. And, and I think when all three play well, the Rams have a good team. Yeah, he is. He's flammable liquid, as we know. Uh, but there have been a lot of nights where he hasn't been sparked. Uh, but if you watched him play last year, whether it was the Providence game or the Oklahoma game specifically, mm-hmm. you could see the effect that he has on a game when he's confident and feeling good and shots are going down. Uh, the progression for Fats, his junior and senior year, will be to find more middle ground where the low nights aren't necessarily as low as they've been this year. Mm-hmm. You can't have a 2-for-15 or a 3-for-17 out of a guy who's supposed to be your best natural scorer. Um, but the ceiling part, which is what we saw the other night against St. Joe's, I, I don't think that ever goes away. He's capable on any given night, if he's feeling it and shots go down early, he's capable of going for 30 or 35. And, you know, that leads into what we're going to see next week. You know, so, Bill, regardless of what happens against UMass, Rhodey is in the 8-9 game on Thursday? They will be in the 8-9 game. They will be the number 8 seed. Um, they're 8-9 and nine in the 8-10 right now. LaSalle is 7-10. and 10. Even if Rhode Island were to lose their last game against UMass and LaSalle were to beat Fordham, uh, Rhodey has the tiebreaker head-to-head. They won at LaSalle earlier this year in January. Um, so they will be the number eight seed, and they will play uh, against LaSalle uh, starting at noon mm-hmm. on Thursday. Yep. Uh, that'll be the start of uh, a quadruple header at the Barclays Center. Um, you're looking at Massachusetts, George Washington, and Fordham uh, certainly playing on the Wednesday. Uh, and it's to be decided whether or not you're going to see St. Joe's or Richmond there okay. joining them. Uh, but those will be the Wednesday night games. Rhode Island, with this three-game winning streak, has escaped that opening night, uh, well, opening day now, I guess. They play a doubleheader in the afternoon. Uh, and they will play Thursday. And you know, to be in the 8-9 game in the 8-10 tournament, since they've changed the format, uh, which goes back to 2006, not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, this is interesting, uh, folks. Usually, you know, the number one seed, the conference champion, sits around for a day and collects all the awards. They're, you know, usually have a player of the year candidate, a coach of the year candidate, and they walk into a conference tournament feeling really good about themselves, probably looking at a guaranteed NCAA tournament spot where everyone else is desperate to keep their season going. And you would say, well, yeah, but they're the number one seed. You know, they get by that quarterfinal game and then they can worry about the semis and the final, but that's not what has happened in the A-10. No, uh, VCU is the regular season champion. They have a two-game lead going into their last one against St. Joe's on Friday night. Uh, Since the conference tournament changed format in 2006, the number one seed has lost in the quarterfinals five times. Um, The last team to sweep regular season and conference championship was St. Louis in 2013. Uh, that was a very good St. Louis team. Dwayne Evans um, you know, was an All-American candidate that year. I think they were number four or five seed in the NCAA tournament. A, a very strong team. Um, Rhode Island last year was the next number one seed to actually make it to the final. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it had been since 2013, since St. Louis had swept. Um, so the one seed has been you know, sort of an endangered species when it, when it comes to the A-10 field. Well, and that obviously opens up the 
next chapter. So we're going to give Rhode Island a win in their 8-9 game against LaSalle. Uh, I've seen LaSalle a few times. Uh, I don't think they're good at all. Uh, Rhode Island beat them on the road. So I'm going to give Rhode Island the nudge there, and then they would match up against VCU. Um, again, we're not only supposed to go one game at a time you know, in the sports world, Bill, but okay, it's next Thursday, and Rhode Island's playing VCU, for, uh, playing for its life, and VCU is probably going to be an NCAA tournament team regardless of the win and the loss. Right. Is that an overwhelming situation for the Rams? Not if they play like this. Yeah, uh, They beat VCU at home in a game where they scored 50 points in the second half. Uh, now, that was sort of the low point of the season for VCU. They've, they've gone on a phenomenal run uh, since then. And Rhodey obviously went to UMass their next game, crashed and burned uh, at the Mullen Center against a team that was 0-6 in the league, uh, and then got into their struggles. Uh, but if Rhode Island is confident, Jeff Doughton's playing well, Fats Russell's playing well, Cyril Angevine dominating in the paint, uh, that's enough talent to, to hang with a lot of teams. And if you're going to play VCU on a neutral floor, you already have a win under your belt, theoretically, on Thursday. Uh, you've gotten some of those kinks out playing on the big court. You might have a little bit of an advantage in that game in terms of you know, not having to knock the rust off and, and being comfortable with the environment. Um, the other thing I would say is, you know, you're looking at the A-10, VCU is playing for a seed at this point in the NCAA tournament. Yep. Uh, a loss in Brooklyn... Who knows? Could send them to Dayton to the first four. You know that they're going to be desperate to avoid that. Um, so I think that you know, both teams would have a lot to play for. Uh, but Rhodey, you know, certainly if, if they're able to get by LaSalle, I, I, think, I think that there's a way that they could go out there and give a very good accounting of themselves against VCU. I, I think we're also going to see a lot of those discussions in terms of NCAA tournament and bid stealing and whatever else go on across the river at Madison Square Garden as well. No, I just wanted to bring that up. You know, I, I think the A-10 is probably one of the, will be one of the more closely watched uh, conference tournaments around the country because if VCU were to win, um, I uh, there's no other at-large candidate in the A-10. So it's a one-bid league. Right. Uh, that's also the case in leagues like the Pac-12. Um uh, the Big East right now is looking at uh, certain two teams, Villanova and Marquette, and then a whole bunch of mess uh, trying to squeeze their way in. I, I think Seton Hall and St. John's are, are in position. But, uh, you know, you can't rule out a, a Xavier, a Georgetown. You know, Friar fans want to dream. Providence uh, winning the Big East tournament and stealing a bid. Uh, but I think that scenario is much more plausible in the A-10 where, okay, Bill Koch, I'll give you the VCU Rams, and I'll take the other 12 teams. Yeah, you're taking the teams, field. The field. Right. And I, I would probably get better odds. Um, and I, that is the case at quite a few leagues around the country. So uh, the Atlantic 10 tournament will be closely watched by an awful lot of bubble teams. And the Big East will as well. Yes. Uh, you're, you're looking at there's going to be a lot of discussion after Selection Sunday, when the field comes out, depending on how the Big East tournament goes, it's going to be a lot of discussion about who got in and who got out and why. Mm. Oh, there's no two ways about it. Uh, the, the Big East is one of those leagues that's filled with bubble teams. Uh, you know, we, we've talked about a few of them already, and uh, you can throw those teams in with a big chunk of teams in the Big 12 and the Big 10. Uh, it's funny, I often think of our old friend Jim Donaldson, the uh, sure. retired uh, yeah. journal columnist who uh, loved college basketball 
and would always complain when teams below 500 in their leagues found their way into the NCAA tournament. Well, Jimmy's not going to like this year's field. Not at all. Because from Oklahoma to TCU to in the Big Ten, it would be maybe Minnesota. Uh, uh, Indiana is like 6-11, and 6-10, and people are still saying they have a chance. Well, Penn you know, State? People talking about Penn State yeah, in the Big Ten? I can't see it. Uh, they have a good you know, net, but beyond that, they haven't... That would be that would be a no one would a, a like major that. reach yeah major of course reach. but there's we're not talking about teams that are uh, you know eight and ten we're talking about teams that with seven and six uh, conference wins still think they have a chance so I, I know it's a quote soft bubble but let, let's not get carried away here I might give the Pac-12 a second bid I, I might give one to Arizona State if they're able to reach you know the Pac-12 semifinals or the Pac-12 finals. Um, they have a decent record. They're eleven and six in the league. Ken Palm, they're sixty-four. They have a chance to play their way in, I, I would say. But you know, from what you said earlier, Washington definitely. Uh, if Arizona State were to lose their first game in the Pac-12 tournament, Washington, were they to win the tournament, would probably be the only team. It, it is. It is very odd this year. You seem to have. You know, the Big Ten and the Big Twelve have a big cluster of teams who you would look and you would say, well, a lot of these are kind of like each other. Should they be in? In other years, they wouldn't be in. This year, they might be in. You've got some power teams from smaller leagues, like Wofford. You know, Gonzaga, obviously, is, is always there. Yep, uh, Buffalo is going to be in. Buffalo is going to be in. Nevada, you know, yep. VCU is certainly going to be in. Yep. And those are all teams that could win a game or, or maybe multiple games in the NCAA tournament. Sure. And it's funny, uh, as time goes on, the – Teams from those leagues, you know, they they start to lose a couple games, and then it's okay. Well, maybe the Southern Conference doesn't have two at-large teams, which we were talking about maybe a few weeks ago. Um, in the Mountain West, Utah State beat Nevada the other night, a huge win. You know, maybe they have two at-large teams, which hasn't happened in a while. And you know, put me in line for I'd rather see Utah State in than a. Uh, Seven and eleven Big Ten team, uh, no question. Yeah, and I think that's what the committee is going to be faced with. Um, but you know, the Big East right now has five teams at eight and nine. It's wild, isn't it? And and that's for third place. So there could be a five-way tie, or maybe they play each other, but multiple-way tie for third place at nine and nine. That that just yells out mediocrity. Also balance. How about this, Bill? Uh, with the DePaul win last night over Georgetown, the Big East will be the first team in forever, uh, first league in forever, with every team uh, with a 500 or better overall record. Which says it never happened. You know, they are fifth in Ken Palm as a league, so they they obviously did well in the non-conference. Um, you know, but you're looking at, at in the league, they've just cannibalized each other. No they, question. they really have. Yeah. It, it's it's been crazy to watch. And you know, you think about going into the the end of the season, the last place teams in the Big East, you could have a three way tie at seven and eleven. The last place team will have seven wins. Right. You know, that's that's so most seven leagues, and eleven in that league is pretty good. You know, most leagues you look around and you say, like seven and eleven, if you went seven and eleven in the Big Ten. You're, a You're on team. the bubble. Yeah, they're thinking about letting you in. Yeah, um, you know. So it's it's been a, a very odd year in the new Big East. We we haven't seen one like it since they've gone down to ten teams. No, it's uh, 
Uh, hopefully historic because it's it's not the prescription that you need as a league to get multiple teams in. Uh, you can't beat each other up, and that's exactly what's happened all season long. Uh, there's another very, very big situation locally in college basketball this weekend, and that's about the Brown Bears. And we mm. have to talk about Brown. Brown is... As we speak, I'm sure taking their bus ride down, longest bus ride of the year down to uh, Pennsylvania, will play at Princeton on Friday night at Penn on Saturday. And we apologize for the buzzing. Uh, We have a sorted, I don't know if it's a uh, a bee colony above us. I don't know what it sounds like to our listeners, but uh, hang in there. We're not about to get blown away. We're we're good. and Brown right now is uh, alone in fourth place in the Ivy League. If they can win one game this weekend, they will be in the Ivy League tournament. Um, actually, I take that back. That's not true. Um, we need Penn to cooperate and lose one game this weekend. They could win their second game and get in. They could win. They. All right, let me start over. Brown is alone in second place, right in fourth place in the Ivy League right now, one game ahead of Pennsylvania and Cornell. If Brown were to win on Friday against Princeton, that would be a good first step. Really good. But we'd really need Yale to beat Penn at the same time. Correct. Uh, and that would clinch uh, a spot in the tournament. Correct. If Penn were to beat Yale and then beat Brown, then we have a problem. Uh, yes, we do. Penn would be the uh, claim that fourth spot. So Brown has a lot to play for. Mike Martin's team has not been in the Ivy Tournament yet. Uh, this year's Ivy Tournament is at Yale, and the Bears, they have their fate in their own hands, Bill. Which is all you can ask for at this time of year, to not need help from anyone else, to be able to win your games and get into the tournament, whether it be your conference tournament or the NCAA tournament. Um and Brown did that by bouncing back in their second game last weekend. A uh, home loss to Columbia on Friday night, which you know surprised me a little bit. Uh, Columbia's had some close shaves, particularly at Harvard. I think they lost a triple overtime game, multiple overtime games this season. They've lost, you know, and and to see Brown drop that one at home was a, a surprise to me. Uh, but to come back the next night and to beat Cornell seventy five fifty one, really do it in in dominating style and put themselves in a position here where they can go to Penn and Princeton this weekend and, and make it you know, to the Ivy League tournament. I thought that was an impressive bounce back by the Bears. Yeah, you know, the Ivy is this interesting case because, you know, they do, obviously everyone plays each other uh, twice in, in a pretty tight period of time because there's only eight teams in the league. And after I covered the Cornell game and after seeing it, I have no idea how Brown lost to Cornell right. on the road in overtime. So obviously it was a game that they could have won. And, you know, it's frustrating only because if Brown doesn't make the Ivy tournament, it's going to be by one game. So you go back and you say, well, we should have won this one and could have won that one. And the Ivy has been filled with an awful lot of close games, and that's what we're probably expecting this weekend as well. So it's, uh, it's quite a race. Yeah, the other night they had great balance, five players in double figures. Uh, Josh Howard led them off the bench with 16 points. And, he gave uh, him a big, big lift. Yeah, that's, that's and, the first. And hadn't played in a month. He's, he's had a broken nose. That's right. That's the first major contribution he's made in a while. Uh, you could see why you miss a guy like that, a, a front court guy who can hit the glass and has a nice touch around the rim. Uh, you know, but Brown just 
for them to be in this spot, I think, you know, for me personally anyway, I don't want to speak for you, I expected them to contend for a top four spot when we started the year. I thought they had enough talent. They did enough work in the non-conference. I saw enough skill there in terms of guys who could make shots and guys who were athletic enough like Tam and Ang Cho inside. Uh, Obi Akoli has really played well here the last few games of, of his senior season. He looks like a guy who wants to play meaningful postseason basketball. Um, you know, so for Brown, who won at Princeton, I think it was last year, uh, a wild overtime game where Desmond Cambridge went nuts, uh, was making shots from the parking lot at, at Jadwin Gymnasium. Um, this is an opportunity for them, two games that theoretically they could win. Um, just get the second one at Penn, and, and we won't have to talk about tiebreaker scenarios or anything else. No, but I, I don't think I'd like to wake up on Saturday morning in a do-or-die road game at the Palestra. No. That, 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 that's that's quite a challenge that I'm sure the Bears would like to avoid. Uh, before we wrap up, uh, Bill, just a little bit on Bryant's season. Um, they made the NEC tournament, which is a big achievement in itself. Uh, unfortunately, as the eighth seed had to get on a bus and drive to the other side of nowhere, St. Francis, PA, uh, and lost on Thursday night. Uh, Thursday, what day is today? Wednesday night. Uh, so their season ends, uh, but certainly an awful lot to build on. Uh, no real seniors of note for the Bulldogs. Everybody uh, of consequence hopefully returns, and uh, Jared Grasso can uh, take it from there. Yeah, lost the game 67-63, a game that they trailed by 18 points early in the second half. Uh, managed to rally and, and make it you know, a tight one at the end. Uh, you know, and I, I thought that... It was pretty symbolic of, of Bryant's season, the way the game played out. Uh, you know, maybe a little short on, on players in the rotation, maybe a little short on talent, but certainly not short on effort and, and on grit. And I think that you know, Jared Grasso has done a good job instilling that in the first season. He sort of set that baseline of what he expects in terms of effort, uh, in terms of you know, just sort of the nightly competitiveness that, that Bryant showed, um, you know, particularly after their first five or six games. I, I know both of us were at the Brown game early this year uh, where Bryant looked very out of sorts and, and disjointed. Uh, and Brown handled them pretty easily. And you know, I remember saying to you, I'm not really sure where this is going to go here. Um, you know, Bryant looks like a team that is really struggling to find itself. Uh, but as the season played out, it uh, looks like they've got – Guys to rely on going forward, whether it's Adam Grant or Juan Cardenas, the junior college transfer. Joe Kasperzak, the freshman, uh, came in. He was an all-NEC rookie team selection this year. Mm. Uh, next year, you also bring back Sebastian Towns, and you hope to get Ikenan Aduba back, who sat out all season with a shoulder injury. Um, theoretically, he could come back into your lineup and, right. and help you out a little bit. Uh, you know, But Bryant, you know, I think they... Just in terms of attitude and, and in terms of the expectations for Jared Grasso going forward, I I think they've sort of set themselves a, a nice foundation going into 2019-20. Yep, it's all about recruiting and adding to the talent base. And I know Jared was happy with his uh, fall signing period and is still looking for some, for some help uh, here in the spring. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Bill? I'm allergic to bees, so I think I'm going to wrap things up here. Uh, we will have another pre-conference tournament podcast probably this coming Tuesday when we know where uh, everyone is heading and uh, looking forward to it. Bill, we'll see you then. All right, Kevin.